This morning's Old Testament reading is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 1. It can be found on page 679 of your pew Bible. Isaiah 1, starting in verse 1 and then continuing with verses 10 through 20. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading can be found in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 3, skip a few, and then read verses 8 through 16. This can be found on page 1212 of your pew Bible. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. Sorry, I read an extra verse. We're now going to skip to uh, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, 
who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she was considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he was as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sherman. Um, Way to be here on such a terribly hot day. I had to tie my hair in a knot because it's like a blanket on my neck. So if it looks weird, sorry. Uh, (laughs) I'm particularly impressed by those of you in the balcony. Like, it's probably extra hot up there, and that is serious dedication to sitting up there. Um, Anyway, uh, we're talking about Hebrews 11 this morning, which is such a beautiful passage. Um, I think the writer of Hebrews was quite a preacher, and uh, tough to follow, actually. The passage is a hard one, too. You know, the Bible is always sort of uncomfortably honest about life. Uh, A lot of Christians want to paper over the more painful parts of our lives, Um, but the Bible never does that. It looks unflinchingly at reality and lays it bare. You know, right in the pages of Scripture, people get angry at God and argue with God, turn their backs against God, um, complain that God has abandoned them. I appreciated uh, Don's... uh, consternation is welcome attitude in prayer. It's right there in Scripture. Um, You know, the Bible catalogs how God's own people continue to fail over and over again. Like, even Jesus' own disciples, every one of them betrayed him. Um, You know, Judas in the most noteworthy way, but also Peter turning away. But that passage actually says they all went away. Um, The Psalms are full of painful prayers, pleading from God in dark places, wondering about the promises that they have believed and crying out for help. And then Hebrews chapter 11, you know, it's this eloquent catalog of faith, and it's got some of the great, like, full of the great personalities of scriptures, of the heroes of our faith, and right smack in the middle, the preacher says, all these people were still living by faith when they died They did not receive the things promised. They did not receive the things promised. People so often think that the Bible is full of platitudes, like it wraps everything up in this nice, uncomplicated bow, but it does not at all. And there's nothing surfacey or sweet about the scriptures. I mean, unless we, 
you know, pull out a verse and paint it in swirly letters, letters and put it on our wall. Scriptures as a whole take full stock of our suffering. And that is what makes them powerful. Because we don't follow Jesus because he allows us to look at the state of the world and the state of our lives with a sunny disposition and permanent smiles on our face. We follow Jesus because he enters into the mess himself and promises to make something beautiful of it. But like Abraham and Sarah, we may not see that before we die. It's comforting to me that neither Jesus nor the scriptures overlooks the troubles of this life. Like, how could we trust it otherwise? Ours is not a religion of platitudes and mushy feelings, of easy answers and formulas. There's never a straight line from here to there in the Christian faith. Our faith takes the whole of life and puts it in the hands of our loving God and asks us to believe in God's unending goodness with faith, like Abraham's, that doesn't take circumstances at their face value, but sees beyond them. Like, it can be tough to believe because the world is a really hard place. That phrase, they did not receive the things promised, it just rings a little too true sometimes when we go to the doctor and when we read the news. Like, if you're looking for evidence of the world progressing towards this promised future that we hope for, it can be really hard to spot. You know, Isaiah's words are so comforting, promising us a time when we will not train for war anymore. When we will turn all of our weapons into gardening tools. But at the same time, right now, I googled it, or I looked it up on Wikipedia. Uh, Wikipedia lists 24 wars in the world right now. Like, we think of Ukraine as this horrendous thing. There's 24 of those. At least, there's also like, you know, different conflicts and things. And then not to mention like, just the gun violence in our own country. Like the peace that we long for can seem so far off. Like even, in our, even our own personal relationships are fraught with violence and abuse and misunderstanding. We're moved by the words of Revelation saying that when God's kingdom comes in full, God will wipe away every tear from our eye and that there will be no more death and no weeping and no crying and no pain. But still we weep, like every day. We take confidence in Paul's words in 2 Corinthians, telling us that we've been made new in Christ, that the old has gone and the new has come now, already. But how many times every day are we reminded that we are still waiting on that promise to be fulfilled to? Like how many words just slip out of our mouths that are so far from loving or truthful? We sing that Jesus is the king of all, bringing a kingdom of shalom, But in so many hearts and minds, his name is hardly more than a curse word. Like Abraham, we have not received the things that we have been promised. 
Not all the way, anyway. And that's why we need faith. The confidence in what we hope for, the assurance of what we do not see. Abraham was promised that God would make a great nation out of him that would bless the whole world. And God promised him that that nation would have a flourishing land to call its own. And Abraham actually did live in that promised land, but not as a resident. He lived there as a stranger, not in cities belonging to his own vast nation as he had been promised, but in tents with his wife and son, just the three of them. He had been promised a land and a nation, but all he had was a tent and his one son and a strong sense of dislocation. One author pointed out that um, the only part of the promised land that Abraham actually owned was the six-foot plot where he buried his wife. Abraham was faithful to God, Hebrews says, but when he died, he only had the faintest glimmer of what he had been promised. And now for us, watching wars and division and conflict and the brokenness in the church and ourselves and church leaders falling, and it can be tempting to lose sight of the promise. We long for a world of love and humility. We even declare that it's already here, that the kingdom is here now, that we can live in it now. Even while so often it still seems like violence and power might just be the only ways to get things done. Like Noah, who's also mentioned in chapter 11 in that part that's skipped over, um, building a huge boat in the middle of the desert, insisting that rain was coming. It can be easy to lose sight of the promise, to start to feel like the whole thing maybe was just a joke. that would be a mistake. You know, Abraham's one son did eventually become a nation, right? The nation of Israel. His people did inherit the promised land and Abraham, where Abraham had lived like a stranger. The promises were fulfilled, but in his life, wandering in the desert, unable to produce an heir for years, and then only one, it would have taken him everything to hold on. For us, too. The promises are true and coming, even here already, even if they are sometimes difficult to see. The one who promised is faithful. And that's why the faithful in Hebrews 11 are commended, because faith is not for the faint of heart. It's not flighty or easy. It doesn't just blow over you like a summer breeze. <laughs> I love that I wrote that in here, not thinking about how hot it would be. <laughs> Don't we wish it did? Um, you know, it doesn't feel that easy. I mean, sometimes we have moments of that. But not always. I don't even think often. It requires a certain kind of tenacity because this world is difficult and God often moves slower than we would like. Like way slower. Like the world's always been a painful place. That's not a new thing. That's why it's so comforting that the Bible doesn't avoid difficult questions. It doesn't always answer them either. 
But our faith is one that is well acquainted with grief, as our Savior is. God was not content to remain distant from our suffering. And so Jesus stepped down into our midst, into our flesh, to walk with us, to be with us, and to weep with us. Instead of avoiding pain like so many of us try to do, he actually seemed to seek it out, going to the least, the last, and the lost, going to the outcasts, even becoming one himself. Paul says that it was for the joy set before him that Christ endured the cross. Just like Abraham, he saw beyond his own circumstances to what was coming, and that gave him what he needed to be able to walk through. It couldn't have been easy as he approached the cross to see the joy that was set before him, the life on the other side. And actually, we know that it wasn't because he asked his father to take this cup from him, praying a prayer so fierce that blood dripped from his pores. Jesus, too, living as a stranger and a foreigner on earth, did not receive what was promised in his life. He had to die to experience the new life of the resurrection and to share it with us. God's ways have never fit nicely with the priorities of this world. God's plans take some detours that our plans never do, at least intentionally. While we think things should happen in a hurry, God always has been patient, so patient that it seems like sometimes like things are never going to change. While people seek power, God wants humility. While we want people to get what they deserve, God wants mercy and love. While we want to hang on to life, God doesn't mind moving through death. That's why our faith in the promises of God makes us foreigners and strangers in this land too. It makes us fools. When the world declares that we have... When the world declares that we have to do everything we can to make ourselves safe from the criminals and all the dangers and really even from everyone who disagrees with us, we say, perfect love casts out fear. Pray for your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. When the world says, what's yours is yours, we say, I lay down my life of my own accord. When the world says that winning is all that matters, we go and stand with the losers because that's where Jesus is. That's where he stood. When the world says that happiness is found in money and things, we say, why store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy? Sell what you have and give it to the poor. When the world says violence is the only way forward, we point to Jesus who bore the violence of the world in his own body for the sake of love. And then we go and do the same. We are longing for a better country. One that is not ruled by money or power or survival of the fittest or eat or be eaten. We are longing for a better country than that. A heavenly one. And this is the miracle of your faith. It allows us to live in this world while bearing out the promise of another one. 
like Abraham, believing that God will make him a nation that blesses the world, believing it enough to leave his home, his stability, his wealth, even though the text says he didn't know where he was going. We are like Jesus, sweating blood in the garden, but then walking forward in confidence and love, knowing that all is held in the hands of our Father. If we keep following the rules of this world, we'll just end up with more of what the world has always been. We don't want more of the same human messes. We are looking for a better country. We are looking for a city whose architect and builder is God. And God has promised us that it is coming. We have not yet received what has been promised. But we can see it, and like Abraham, we can welcome it from a distance. And we can, we can however, catch glimpses of it now, in the same way that we spot seedlings pushing through the dirt. They're often actually very hard to see. <laughs> if you have a garden, maybe you know that. If you don't, you should have a garden so you can know that. They're tiny and fragile and so easily overlooked, but they are evidence of so much more to come. And if we have the faith to look and to see them for what they are, we'll spot them all over the place. And every moment of grace, in every act of sacrificial love, every time someone steps into someone else's pain at a sickbed or a deathbed, every time someone bends their knee to pray, every division that's overcome, every time someone decides to stay in the hard conversation to work it out, in every act of hatred that is met with love, the world will tell us that these things are too small to matter. But God is building the heavenly city differently than we have built ours. God's kingdom, Jesus says, is like a mustard seed. Small, easy to miss. But just when you're not looking, it springs up into something more. And each of these faithful acts is a seed planted. Just waiting for it's time to spring up by the power of God. I heard the other day about someone from our church going to help another with her garden because she just couldn't do it anymore. I saw someone just run across the sidewalk to make an effort to just get to know an outsider. I <laughs> saw before, I was going to say this, and just saw it again, a young person take a baby from an overwhelmed parent. It happened during the sermon, guys. <laughs> you know, just to hold her for a minute. I saw an elderly man sit and get to know three young kids after church. A peg comes over and walks our dog most days. You all bring meals and you write cards and you ask thoughtful questions. And you try to stay present when it's hard. These are small things. 
but they offer hope. And more than that, they are the mustard seeds of the kingdom. They are the building blocks of the coming city of God. If you, if you struggle to catch these glimpses, or even to believe that they exist, because I know that sometimes it's easier than others, if for you the situation seems bleak, take courage. It is the dark places that often seem to be the places where God chooses to do God's best work. Our passage offers the whole of creation as evidence of that. By faith, we understand that the, universe was, that the universe was formed at God's command so that what was seen was made out of... Sorry, so that what was... I can't read. Uh, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. I'm going to read it again. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. God made the universe out of nothing. God works well with limited resources. Our bleak situation is God's canvas. Our chaos, God's creation. Our death, God's resurrection. Do not despair. Whatever you are facing, whatever you see going on in the world, your God is mighty to save. And God's kingdom is not of this world. Have faith, my friends. The kind of faith that can believe a nation can come from one man, even though he's as good as dead. The kind of faith that camps out in the promised land on the hope that it will be given. The kind of faith that can look life square in the eye, taking the good with the bad and still walk forward in hope and love. Let us be a people whose minds and hearts are filled with the promises of God. So filled with a vision of the heavenly country that we can't help but live toward it now. Like Abraham and Sarah, let our very lives testify that the promises are true. Be the evidence that a better country is coming. A country where there is not just an end to war, but a pervasive peace that heals us all. There's no more death and no weeping or crying or pain. A country where we no longer struggle with ourselves, but live whole and holy, renewed in the image of God. And a country where Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, grace embodied, reigns over all. Please pray with me. Lord, may you open our eyes to glimpses of your kingdom. May we find the hope of the plants poking through the concrete. The small acts of kindness, the small goodnesses we witness every day. 
Lord, may we find you in all of that and may it spur us on. May we live in love for the joy set before us, even when it's hard. In Jesus' name, amen.